Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness in all our lives. We pray that others would see you at work in us and believe in you and join us here in this place. As we gather under your holy word today, we ask that you would feed us your words of life, that we would be impacted by your great love and walk in your ways each day. Be with us this Lenten season as we focus again now on your greatest gift to us in your one and only Son. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Got that slide up because today we've got to go right back in history, just briefly, uh, the history of God's people, the Israelites, back to the time of their wilderness wanderings where God had done a miraculous thing in setting the Israelites free from their slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh. But the Israelites' gratitude when that happened for God's grace and deliverance, it didn't last very long at all. They have barely gotten sand between their toes on their wilderness journey before they start to whine and complain. And they complain about the water. They complained about the food. They complained about their leaders. They complained about the heat. They complain because the journey is too long and too hard. It's kind of like the kids in the back seat of the car saying, are we nearly there yet? One day the Israelites are feeling particularly bad tempered. And they just go too far. They speak against God and they speak against Moses. And this is what they said. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no water here and the food is terrible. Life was better back in Egypt when we were slaves under Pharaoh. And that, my friends, is the straw that broke the camel's back. God has had it. God's wrath is unleashed. God sends poisonous snakes into the camps of the Israelites and there are snakes everywhere. They're in their tents, they're in their swags, they're in their bread baskets and their water jars. There are poisonous snakes everywhere. And those who are bitten by these snakes die a rather horrible and gruesome death. And so the Israelites, who just moments before complained against Moses, now do a 180 degree backflip facing the other way and beg Moses to instead pray to the Lord on their behalf and take away the serpents. And Moses, he was a gracious man because even though they'd been whinging against him, he did. He prayed for them. He falls to his knees and prays to the Lord. But guess what? The Lord doesn't take away the snakes. Instead, God instructs Moses to fashion a snake from bronze and to lift it up on a pole to tell, and tells the people to look up to that and be saved. And everyone who's been bitten by a snake looks up and is saved, just like God said. Okay, now let's fast forward a bit to today's story from John, where a Pharisee named uh, Nicodemus pays Jesus a visit uh, in the night. There he is. This little detail, a nighttime visit is important because in John's Gospel, life is all about belief and it's about faith. And darkness is all about unbelief. And John is letting us know from the start that Nicodemus is a man struggling to believe. Maybe you've been there yourself, struggling to believe in God. It's as if Nicodemus is a man who knows he needs help with something. He knows there's something missing in his life but he doesn't know what or how to get it. But he knows where, doesn't he? Because he's rocked up there in front of Jesus. In the past, he'd always look to his own resources. You know, he'd spent his whole life thinking that the way to God was living a good life, being a good person, and that would get him into heaven. He followed the rules to the letter and probably Nicodemus thought he was a pretty impressive Jew. But then Jesus 
starts preaching and ministering in the area and his ministry is affecting people in amazing ways. Things are happening, miracles are happening. And I wonder, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I wonder if Nicodemus noticed something fuller than a rule book. I wonder if he saw something bigger than himself uh, in this person, Jesus. We're a bit like Nicodemus. When we're following the rules, we call ourselves good people. Said, yeah, I'm a good person, I do the right thing, I help people. But when we're not following them, when we're, when we're uh, ignoring the rules, doing the wrong thing, well then usually the rules are un- unfair or the rules are wrong, but we're still good people, aren't we? can move it around to suit ourselves. I ask you today, does God love us more than the people we label bad or unlovable? Does God love Pharisees like Nicodemus? What about if we're well liked or respected in the community? Does he love us more then? Does he love people more if they're involved in the church? Or what if they have a really good Lutheran surname and genealogy? Does he love them more then? I hope not because I haven't got a good Lutheran name. God loves people regardless of status. He loves them regardless of their popularity. He loves them regardless of their income or how much money they've got. He loves them regardless of their genealogy, where they've come from. And he loves them regardless of their reputation, what other people think of them. God loved the whining Israelites in the wilderness And he loves people who think they're the best thing since sliced bread. God loves people who think they don't need anything from God until something bad happens or they hit hard times. I wonder if I asked you today what your greatest need was. I wonder what you'd answer. Thanks, Frank. The readings from today are like flashing neon signs that read, you all need help and that includes your pastor. And even though you're not the good people you claim to be sometimes, here I am to help you because I love you. We all have deep needs. If we strip away the petty problems and the superficial issues that bring us stress, like bad drivers on the road, uh, like home repairs, like computers that crash all the time and you just can't get them to work, we know about that, Even the money stuff that can be really annoying. I'm asking you to think today about the big stuff, the big issues in your life. I'm asking you to think about things like death. I'm asking you to think about your relationship with the God who will one day serve as your eternal judge. Like making it through this evil world with your faith still intact. Like giving your children or people that you love, if you haven't got children, your best friends, leaving them something lasting that's more important and valuable even than money. Where does help like that come from? For the Israelites in the wilderness, it came from a bronze snake on a pole. And if I'm honest with you, I find that to be a really bizarre and strange event. Even though they were whining endlessly and ungrateful, God who sent the snakes also sent the help. He sent help to flawed people, not good people, And he did it on account of his burning and holy love so that all who looked to that bronze serpent on the pole would be saved. It's a very strange event. And then Nicodemus found Jesus' response to him strange too. He couldn't quite grasp what Jesus was trying to tell him about entering the kingdom of God. Jesus answered, 
Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Nicodemus was supposed to be a person who knew his scriptures, like a a lecturer from any reputable Bible college, whether that's Australian Lutheran College or any Bible college here in Australia or the world. He was meant to know his scriptures, or maybe like someone who searched the scriptures for years, lived and saturated themselves in the word of God and actually knew it. And he says, very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people, that's the Jewish leaders, do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. I reckon you know about being born again, don't you? Born from above. When you hear being born above from water and the spirit, what have you been trained to think of? Baptised. Baptism. Baptism. In the small catechism, the question is posed, how can water do such great things? In other words, how are people born again through water and the Spirit into the kingdom of God? The reason I bring that up because it's the same question Nicodemus asked in our passage this morning when he said to Jesus, how can this be? Well, this is how. The answer comes to us saying, certainly not just water. Baptism is not an empty ritual or a photo opportunity for people. It's not that. But the word of God in and with the water does these things along with faith which trusts this word of God in water. For without God's word the water is plain water and no baptism. But with the word of God it is a baptism. That is life-giving water, rich in grace and a washing of the new birth in the Holy Spirit. So I want you to think of faith when you think of baptism. Baptism and faith in Jesus go hand in hand. They walk together all the time. Let's never separate baptism and faith in Jesus. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if we thought of our baptism as a past event that had no impact on our daily walk with Jesus? Baptism and living in the kingdom of God and your faith are everyday events. They matter every day of your life. Baptismal faith is faith that looks to Jesus every single day, not when it's convenient, not when we need something from God and not only on a Sunday. It looks to Jesus seven days a week. And the only reason any of this is possible for us is because the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, was lifted up as Jesus told Nicodemus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus Christ lifted up on the cross to die for you so that the poison of sin doesn't destroy you. 
lifted up on the cross so that you can look to Jesus in all things and every aspect of your life and be saved through him. The Son of Man was lifted up on the cross to die and then rise again so that we could receive new life through water and the spirits. And that new birth that Nicodemus couldn't quite get, it happens when we're joined to Jesus, joined to him in his death and resurrection, joined to him through baptism and faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, baptism and faith always walk together hand in hand. That's how you enter the kingdom of God. It's not possible without the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, being lifted up on the cross. So where does our help come from? Like the sons of Korah sang, our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And we can be left reeling by this. Why did God even do that? Why did he do it for you? Why did he do it for me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him, not a one-time event, but a person who continues to look to Jesus and believe in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God did it because he's a saving and a rescuing God. He's been in the saving and rescue business since the beginning of human history. He's not concerned with things like outward appearances, your income or your educational levels. He's not concerned with the colour of your skin and he's certainly not concerned with the kind of house that you live in. People sometimes love for these reasons, but God doesn't. God's love is much deeper and it moves into action to help us. But God didn't send his son because we're good people. He did it because we're not. He did it because we all need the kind of help that's beyond our reach, just like the Israelites couldn't heal themselves from those deadly snake bites they suffered. We don't have the antidote. We don't have that special vial of things that will cure us from our sin. We wish we did, but we haven't. But God does have it. And it requires an act of God, his son lifted up on the cross for you and me. So God looks at you today. You. Not the you by worldly definitions or by the way people describe you, but the person he created you to be. And he loves you with a love beyond human reason, put into action, sending Jesus to die for you, to be lifted up high on the cross, that you might look look to him in all things and live. Being born into the kingdom of God is about real life, full life. It's about living your baptismal faith and daily looking up to where your help comes from, to Jesus, lifted up so you can live and walk in his love every single day of your life. Thanks be to God. Amen. And the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding, and it does, keep your hearts and your minds safe in Christ Jesus your Lord. Amen.